What do you feel like was the most unfair, unjust thing that God did? My mom has always struggled. I've never seen her without struggle. I've never seen her go a whole year without going through something. First, it was the divorce. Second, it was just her struggling financially. And then it was the disease. Being younger, I was always thinking, okay, one day we're going to enter that promised land, you know? One day it's going to be flowing with milk and honey. We're going to be financially secure. My mom is going to get remarried to someone who treats her so much better than my dad ever did. I always had that envisioned in my mind. I thought it was so unfair that that never happened for her, you know? When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what He has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. When I originally recorded this episode with today's guest, Sarah Salazar, there were two things that stood out to me then, and they stay with me even now. The strength of such a small family unit, Sarah, her brother, and their mom, and the influence of a mother's unwavering faith. Sarah had watched her mom overcome obstacle after obstacle, challenge after challenge, and she held on to the hope that they'd be able to catch that much-needed break and things would level out for them and be a little bit easier. So what do we do when a health diagnosis shakes the one foundation that their mother stands on, solid, unwavering? This mom's faith in Christ alone was non-negotiable. But what happens when the expectations we have of God, our way of defining what it means for him to show up, and they're not fulfilled? In my conversation today, Sarah, who is now a young woman in her mid-20s, shares the story of her mom through the eyes of a young teen. When Sarah was 14, she received devastating news. Her mom, who had scleroderma, an autoimmune disease finds out it has brought the onset of pulmonary fibrosis. It is a rare lung disease that affects one in 20,000 people. Pulmonary fibrosis would scar her lungs, making it difficult to breathe. Upon receiving the bleak diagnosis, her mom stepped out in faith and shared that she believed God would heal her. Sarah stood in agreement with her mom and they joined together and shared faith, believing that God would heal her. And along with members in the church, they joined in faithful prayer for healing. We all know that God has promised to never leave us alone, especially in our pain and suffering. But we also have to admit that there are times that God in his sovereignty does not move the mountains that we so desperately pray for him to move. And that was Sarah's experience. God did not heal her mom on this side of heaven. When Sarah was 19, she laid her mother to rest. I'll admit that a believer's death is the ultimate healing. But what about those left behind to deal with the pain of separation? How would Sarah make sense of a good God and the reality that he did not intervene in her mother's suffering, nor did he stop her death? The good deposit that Sarah's mom made in her, a fierce faith, the kind that weathers the storms and deeply painful seasons was then and is now the life preserver of truth that keeps Sarah firmly planted on a solid ground. I hope this blesses you. 
like it did me to hear this precious woman's story of genuine struggle, the revelations she received, and what it looks like for her to arrive at a place of peace despite her deep pain. Sarah, thank you so much for coming by today and just having this intimate conversation that I know is going to dig up pain because even hearing you share your story, it digs up some pain for myself. So um, I just, you're precious to me and I, I appreciate you deeply. Thank you so much, Sherry, for having me. It's such an honor to be a part of a podcast that kind of just dives in like the Christian life is not always cookie cutter. It's not always easy. It's never promised to be easy, but we can be real and raw and know that even in the midst of our pain that God is with us. So it's such an honor to be a part of this. And I am looking forward to this conversation. Our conversation today is about your mother struggling with a rare cancer. And then despite your joined prayer and agreeing that God was going to heal, that was not your experience. It was not your reality. You had to say goodbye to your mother. And if I remember correctly, based on our previous conversation, you got this news at 14. But what was life like before you get this devastating news? So before the news, it was always kind of rocky. My parents divorced when I was six. My dad wasn't a really a big part of my life. He was there, but he wasn't really there. I remember my earliest memory of my dad is just him on the couch watching TV and drinking a beer. And that was just my picture of him. My mom was a single mom, even while they were married. They always fought a lot. It was very hard. My dad would always degrade my mom, say degrading comments, make her feel less than. And as a little girl, I internalized that. But growing up, when my mom, when they did divorce and my mom set out as a single mother, she struggled a lot financially. She struggled to make ends meet. But the thing I loved about her was her faith through it all. She had such a faith about her. She would always take us to church on Sundays. And not only did she live it out at church, but at home, she lived it out too. She practiced what she prayed. She prayed with us. She loved us with the love that only God could give. And just watching her struggle financially, we had to move around a lot. We relied on food pantries, clothes closets to make the ends meet when she was struggling. But even through that, she still kept this joy about her. Like God's with us through this. And no matter what happens, he'll, he'll be faithful. And so watching that unfold in my life, it gave me such a knack to want to know who this God was for myself. I remember being like seven years old and talking to my mom about God, asking her so many questions. I think I asked her so many questions about the Bible that even though she didn't express her annoyance, she probably was like, oh my gosh. But she she was so um, sweet with every answer. And if she didn't have the answer, she's like, I don't know. And she'd be honest with me. But I just wanted to know who this God was because I saw the role he played in my mom's life and how he sustained her through everything. And I was like, that's awesome. And I want that for me. She had that joy of the Lord. When the indwelling of Christ fills us, we have the benefits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So that sounds like what was coming out in her life. She yeah. was filled. She was in love. And so that's laying a pretty strong foundation for you and your siblings. You have siblings, correct? I have a younger brother. So that's a foundation that a mama is laying. <laughs> now, when she comes to you to give you this news, tell me about that day. She was having some health problems on and off, but it wasn't something like red flag. You know, it wasn't super, something super huge. But she had some other health problems in the past. 
So I didn't really bat an eye at it. So she sat us down and she had told us, like, I remember me and my brother, was sit, we were sitting down in the living room and she told us, Sarah, I've been diagnosed with this rare lung disease. Immediately after hearing that, I'm just kind of like not understanding it. I remember just having these why moments, these why questions, like, why did this have to happen to her? Why out of everybody would this have uh, happen to her? You know, like it, this lung disease is so rare. It affects only one out of 20,000 people. And I remember being like, why does she have to be that one? And feeling that weight at 14 years old, not knowing what was going to happen, not knowing what it was going to look like. It was very scary, but she was still, she still kept the faith. She's like, I believe that God's going to heal me. And let's just pray through this and know that God's going to be with us through this. And so I was just praying. We both believed like God was going to do a miracle. And we believed that this disease wasn't going to take her out. It wasn't going to be the end. But unfortunately, things didn't happen the way that I envisioned them to happen. God didn't heal her the way that I wanted, but he still did heal her. And that is the challenge, though. We, we have expectations in life. And we have expectations with God. And when our expectations are not met, it is pretty darn painful to say the least, especially in the context of being separated from someone whom you hold so dear. There's a lot of questions that come into play on something like that. When your mother gives you this information and it doesn't seem immediate at the moment, she's diagnosed and it's scary and you join her in prayer to say, we're going to beat this. God and I, God's going to come through. God's going to answer us. At what point did you start to question God? So at the beginning, it was very progressional. It didn't like just happen all at once. The disease took her over time. So Mm -hmm. at first it was just little like progressional. She was just kind of short of breath. She wasn't able to walk long distances like she used to without needing to breathe and needing to like catch her breath. But over like a year, it transitioned from her not being, well, being short of breath to her needing oxygen tank to travel with her so she could breathe from that going into being in a wheelchair and then the wheelchair going into needing an oxygen tank and a wheelchair. And so just watching her slowly decay, like her health decay in front of my eyes and being, having to be the caretaker at such a young age, like I was a teenager balancing, taking care of my mom and also trying to go to school and trying to be just a kid. I wasn't able to be a kid. I had to grow up really fast. I had to, I felt like I had to be strong as well because I had a younger brother. I was like, I have to be strong for him. I have to be strong for my mom. I have to get us through this. We didn't have much family. I didn't mention that earlier, but we didn't have much family. My dad's family lives in Mexico and my mom's family. They're really scattered. We're really distant. It was just always the three of us, me, my mom, and my brother. And so taking on that role, feeling like I had to be the strong one for them, but watching my mom go from a strong, independent woman to someone who is relying on me to take care of her. It was so heartbreaking. It was so devastating. I reached the age of 16 where she couldn't breathe. And there was one moment where she was just struggling to breathe. She was having a coughing fit because it like the scarring of her lung tissue causes that. And she was just coughing uncontrollably. And there was nothing I could do. I remember feeling so helpless. Like there's nothing I can do. Like you can't just give her water and have it go away. You just have to watch her suffer. And just watching her suffer led me to that point of like, God, where are you? I thought 
you're going to heal her. And it was just transitioning that moment. It's like, God's not here in this moment. I really was worried. I was like, he's not going to heal her the way I thought. To be 16, shouldering school, being a teenager, so emotions and the pressures of being young, and then being the caregiver for your mother, whom you can't really do anything for except help her around or hand her something. You mentioned that it made you feel very helpless. And now your hope, God, is not showing up. Yeah. With that type of pressure on you, when did you hit your breaking point? I remember going through that. But again, my mom was such a woman of faith. She would be very encouraging. Even in those moments where she was sick, she wasn't able to work. So we had more time to be alone together. And so she would be very encouraging. She would speak life into me. We had very rich moments. Most teenagers pushed their parents away, but it was the opposite for me. We actually grew a lot closer during those times. And so I remember us having many moments where she would just pour life into me and be able to speak to me. And because like, honestly, it was just the two of us who really knew what was happening. I couldn't relate to her in the way that I wish I could. And she couldn't relate to the way, me in the way that she probably wished she could, but we understood each other probably more than anybody else did. So over the course of time, she got admitted to the hospital. She had a blood clot in her lung and she was not doing well at all. I was 18 or 19 at this point and she was, she was dying and the doctors had come out and were like, Sarah, what do you want to do? I remember that question as clear as day. What do you want to do? Do you want to put her on life support or do you want to take her to hospice? And I remember being like, what am I supposed to do? I have nobody to talk to. I don't know what to do. I felt like the weight of the world was literally resting on my shoulders. I was in charge of my mom's life. And I was like, this isn't fair, God. I remember going home and wrestling with that, just pushing God away. I didn't pray as much as I used to. I went to church just out of respect for my mom. But I remember being at church and feeling so empty and leaving and feeling so empty as well. I remember turning off worship music when I heard it. I was pushing God in every aspect of my life slowly but surely. I wasn't necessarily angry at God, but I was upset. I was hurt with God. Like I didn't understand why he would allow this to happen to someone who loved him, to someone who loved his people, to someone who lived her life with purpose and she'd always struggle. Why did she have to go through this? It wasn't fair. So at that time, I remember reaching my breaking point. I had sunk into such a deep depression. And I remember getting to this point of, I can't do this anymore. I was literally doing this by myself because I didn't have anyone to talk to. Um, The church I was attending made it feel at that moment that you're doubting God and that's not okay. So I was like, I can't talk to people at church. Um, I can't talk, you know, To my mom about this, she's already feeling guilty for me taking care of her. She's already feeling like, you know, I'm a burden to her. So I can't talk to her about that. I felt like I had nobody to talk to. And I remember going through life and feeling so alone. And that's what resulted in me hitting rock bottom. And I remember going home one day after hitting rock bottom, after reaching the lowest of my low points and going to an empty house, falling on my face and was like, God. I can't do this by myself anymore. I need you. 
And I, rem- I remember immediately after I prayed that, like a supernatural peace just flooded the room. And God spoke to me in that moment. He was like, Sarah, you are never alone. I was here with you the whole time. And after that encounter, I felt like this weight was lifted off my shoulders. And that peace is what carried me through the remaining days of my mom's life, through her memorial, and even afterwards. It just sustained me through. And it was knowing that I wasn't alone in that, that I'd never been alone. And I feel like sometimes we get in that mindset, especially if we have no one who completely understands where we're at, that we're just doing this by ourselves, that we have to go this alone, that nobody truly gets it. But to know that God not only is with you, but he understands you. When I hear you say that you surrendered to the Lord and then he speaks to you, surrender is so powerful, or at least the more I talk to people, it's at this point of laying down all that they're trying to carry. So I'm interested to know what your personal thoughts are on the fact that what is so significant at that moment when you finally surrender? Is it our perception of him? I feel like, especially when you go through crisis or trauma or loss, when you're going through that moment, depression and all these intense emotions like anger, frustration, guilt, everything you're facing in that moment tends to shroud your perception. It tends to poison your perception of God in that moment. And you feel like God is 10 miles away or like he's super distant when in reality, he's as close as ever because he abides in you. But we have had this poison perception leading us through the trauma that we're in as a way to self-protect. And we don't see God when he's actually there. So just knowing that the pain that you're feeling, grief, the weight of grief, it does cloud your perception in that moment. And even though you feel like you don't feel God, so many people are like, I don't feel God. You know, I don't feel him. He feels so distant. Where is him? Where is he at? And knowing that even though our feelings are always valid, they're not always true. What a beautiful point that is. When you are losing someone to a cancer or a disease that is progressive in its overtaking your loved one, you're, are you more overwhelmed with all the decisions and at 16 having to decide whether your mother was going to be in hospice or on life support? But do you even have time to grieve yet? Or does the grieving start at the point when you have to say goodbye? Ooh, yeah. So I feel like during her suffering, I was grieving. I don't think I had a moment where I could fully grieve entirely. I remember being in my bed at night and crying myself to sleep because I felt like in that moment I could let down this facade that I had of the need to be strong. I didn't have to be strong in that moment. And I let it go. But during the day when I was taking care of her, I put that facade back up because I'm like, I have to take care of her. I have to be with her in this moment. I don't want her to see me down about this because I know she's already feeling down about it herself. I remember grieving while she was suffering, grieving through that process. So when she passed, I still I still went through a lot of grief, but it was kind of also that relief that she's not suffering anymore. And a lot of people tend to have mixed feelings about that. They go like, oh, why do I feel the relief that they passed? But to know that you feel that relief because you know they're not suffering anymore. 
And it's not necessarily a bad thing to feel that weight of just like, I can breathe because I know that they're okay. And what a struggle that is the relief that they are not struggling, but the pain of the separation. Yeah. Is that just a process? What does that look like in order to move through that? And do you ever really move through that? So you take steps through it. I say this to all the time to those I lead in grief support. Grief is a process. There's no straight and narrow with it. There's no step A, step B, step C. I wish it was that easy, but it's not. Grief is different for everyone. It's unique to everyone. Just knowing it's going to be different for, for you than it might be for your sibling who lost the same parent or your spouse who lost the same child. It's going to be different. And to know that there's no wrong way to grieve, you know, there's no wrong way to grieve. But while you're going through that process, I have these three keys that really helps you navigate that. Number one is avoid isolation. During grief, as a way to self-protect, we tend to isolate ourselves. That's just our natural response to any trauma, any loss. We tend to isolate ourselves. But knowing that there is intentional time to be alone, and allow yourself to feel your feelings, allow yourself to grieve. But there's also those moments where you're just isolating yourself. And isolation is a traffic door for the enemy to whisper lies, to tell you that nobody cares, nobody understands, and to get you into a place of constant depression. Despair. Uh, yeah, despair. Um, so just navigating and reaching, being intentional and reaching out to people. A lot of people who are going through loss, people always text them like, Hey, I'm here. What do you need? And our tendency is to be like, I'm fine. I don't need anything, but just to be open and honest, like, Hey, I need someone to do my laundry. Hey, I need someone to go wash my car. Little chores like that and being open and honest with the people around you and joining a group support group and being in present in that moment with other people to know again, that you're not just doing this by yourself, that you do have a support system. Number two is remember that grief comes in waves. Some days will be better than others. Some days you're like, okay, you know, I got my cup of coffee today. I was able to get out of bed today. Then there are days where you feel like you're back at square one, something triggers you and you're just overcome with a wave of grief to know that it doesn't mean that you're not healing, but it's just a process. Some days will be better. Some days won't be so good. But to know that that's a part of the healing journey and it doesn't mean anything less if you're still struggling in that. And then the third one is remember that grief is not your identity. It's not who you are. I feel like sometimes in grief, we tend to take that on as who we are. Like even in the Bible with Ruth and Naomi, Ruth um, had lost her husband. Naomi lost her husband and her sons. And in the Bible, there's a scripture where she's talking about, don't even call me by my name anymore. Don't even call me Naomi, call me Mara, because it means the Lord has dealt a bitter hand against me. So she took on the pain of her grief and her loss as her identity, as that the God was against her, that nobody was for her. And if we're not careful, we can slip into that. But to know that our identity doesn't rest in our loss, but it rests in Christ. Our identity is God-given and we have the victory over grief because we have victory in Christ and that's who we are. A lot of times when we are known for our pain or we take on that identity of our pain, 
do you think that's kicked into play because when trauma happens, there's an identity issue that also happens. Mm. My title of wife being stripped away, mm. who was I now anyway? Did you mm. have any sort of identity struggle after your mother passed away? Yeah, that is such a good, that's such a good question. Again, growing up, it was always the three of us. I was always my mother's daughter and it was always a part of who I was. And so when she passed, knowing I'm by myself, and I remember coming to a place where I was like, I feel orphaned because my dad's not a big part of my life. My mom's no longer here. I remember saying, I am an orphan. And then immediately after I said that, God was like, no, you're not. That's not who you are. And so just realizing that I'll always be my mother's daughter. You'll always be a spouse, your husband who passed away. That's always going to be a part of who you are, but it's not who you are. It's not your soul identity. Your identity is rested and resides in Christ. The thing I learned too about my, when I was struggling with my identity of who am I now is that our titles in this life change. Yeah. Labels change, roles, responsibilities shift, shake, move. And if we build our identity on who Christ says we are, that does not change, never does. It doesn't matter what happens, what this life tries to label you with or what this life puts on you. Our identity is solid in Christ. Yeah. Backing up okay. just a little bit, you said earlier that you really felt like you had no one to rely on. Mm-hmm. So there's no support system in the school. There's no support system in the hospital for your age. There's no support system in the church, or maybe there is, but I have found that a lot of times when you go to the church, mm-hmm. depending on what church, if you question the Lord, people step away thinking you're going to get hit by a bolt of lightning. <laughs> What was your experience? Like I mentioned earlier, coming to a place where I was struggling, I was wrestling with these real thoughts like, God, where are you? God, are you even here? God, do you even exist? Literal, real, raw questions. I was wrestling with them. And hearing doubting is a sin. You immediately want to just isolate yourself all the more because you're like, okay, am I a bad Christian? Am I a bad Christian for having these thoughts and these questions? And knowing that God isn't afraid of your questions, that he actually invites you to speak them to him, to be open and honest with him. Because when you put your faith in the Lord, it says in the Bible that he promises to never leave or forsake you. And I don't think he will forsake you for having doubts. I don't think he'll forsake you for questioning him in the moment. I believe that in those moments, that's when he wants to really just comfort you. God's close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. And he wants to wrap his arms around you and let you know like, hey, it's hard right now. It will be hard, but I'm with you through it. I wonder why the church does not embrace the struggle, because I think Mm. that's authentic. I feel like a lot of churches, not every church, but a lot of churches kind of paint this picture. If you're a real Christian, you can't be struggling with A through Z, or you can't be having doubts, or you can't be fearing. But in all honesty, we're humans. We're going to fall. We're going to struggle. And to remind people like, hey, it's okay not to be okay. You don't always have to be okay. You don't always have to be strong. It's okay. Your strength comes from the Lord, knowing that you can be open and honest. And like you said, that God won't zap you with a bolt of lightning, but he invites you to this place of rest in him. And just to be real and open with him 
because he already knows. He already knows what you're struggling with. It's not a surprise to him. He already knows. I really hope churches change that misconception they have about having these real struggles and not being able to paint it with I'm okay or everything's going to be okay, but to know even through these struggles, even through these pains, even through these whys, that we can still rally around these people and let them know that they have a safe place. I feel like church should be a safe place for people to be open and transparent. And sometimes it's not always the safest place to be. There are other churches that do embrace the struggle and give you that safe place to ask some tough questions. And I think that's relationship, though, a healthy relationship. And with Christ, we're always in a healthy relationship, even when we show up unhealthy. But he is always welcoming our questions and to dig into him about what in the world are you talking about? Your word says this. This is not what I'm getting. When you're in pain and it's just coming out in like raw form, it's not pretty. It's it's ugly and it's disrespectful, but God is never offended. Never yeah. offended about how it comes out. I think it gives him an opportunity to reveal himself, to show himself, to give us an answer, to be with us. So maybe I get it a little bit about the churches when they're saying or maybe they're trying to say that God is good. God is there. He's not going to leave you. He's there. But if you don't have the opportunity to question him, how do you really know? Because if you give him the side eye, you're all mad and you're not going to talk to him about it. What gets resolved? Yeah. So I love that you are real with God. And, and I believe that's part of the processing, questioning, struggling. As you were pushing God out of your life in the time when you were feeling you are not showing up, this is not worth it to me, or whatever your personal uh, way to verbalize that was, did you ever experience or perceive that he was still pursuing you? Did you see Mm. any ways that he showed himself or offered something or made something available? Again, I feel like God, in those moments, he spoke a lot to me through my mom. I had that strong facade, like, I'm okay, I'm doing all right. And I'll never forget, I was struggling, but I was keeping up this facade, keeping it up so I can make sure that everybody else was okay. She was in the hospital and sitting in the hospital, checking with her to make sure she was okay. And she saw right through my facade. I could not hide it. And she's like, Sarah, what's wrong? Talk to me. Are you okay? And in that moment, I broke down. In those moments, my mom spoke to me. I heard God. Just knowing even then he was still reaching out to me, even then he was still offering me that peace. Your mother's heart for the Lord made her that vessel in order for him to work through her and for you to perceive him in her relationship, in his indwelling of her. And that is a beautiful thing to have access to and a beautiful thing to perceive because sometimes I think we are, and maybe I'm only speaking from my experience. There are times when I can be very absorbed with what I am struggling with or upset about. And I miss God. I miss the times that he reaches out to me or offers me something, his peace, his presence. And I miss it. I wish I were more perceptive in instances like that. So for you to pick up on the fact that, even in your mother's struggle, she's still reaching for you, but that's a mother's heart too. <laughs> so sometimes in those moments, you didn't know that God was there or he was present with you until you look back on it. Looking back, you're like, this is how God was speaking to me in my pain in that time. And I just now realize it right now. 
And sometimes he'll just bring that back to your memory or give you a revelation of that moment. In that time period when you are really struggling and you've got no real help at church, you've got no help at school, there's nobody in the medical field who's come to your aid to help you navigate your mother's health care. You're between 14 and 19 years old. What got you through? Was there a scripture that you would hang on to, even despite the struggle with God, maybe an underlying struggle with God, but you're still trying to hang on to something, anything help you keep afloat? Even though there are some times at the church where I didn't feel like I could completely be honest with everything, I did have some support from the church. I had friends and people check in with me to make sure me and my brother were doing good. So that was helpful. It's just, they didn't really understand, but they really, they did really help us through that. But a scripture that really stuck out to me, Deuteronomy 31, 6, for the Lord, your God goes with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And then John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world. Just to dwell on that, in this world, you'll have trouble. In this world, it's not going to be easy. In this world, loss, it happens and pain happens. But to know that he's already overcome that. And again, we've already been given the victory over that and through it. And that he's walking with us through it. That's the hope that he gives us. In the midst of pain and suffering, he throws us those lifelines and reminders that it's temporary, painful as it is. I have overcome that. I have a solution to that. I have a way to reunite you. And so follow me. It is what you hang on to. Can you speak to, if at all, because I'm assuming here a lot here when I say this, can you share with me anything about your experience with God's peace that surpasses our natural ability to understand? In those moments when I was feeling hopeless, uh, feeling at the end, I remember coming to a place, it was such a low place where I was like, if I went to sleep and I didn't wake up, I would be okay with it. But the peace that God just gave me, not only was for that moment, but it's sustaining. It's sustaining. That's how I believe that it goes far beyond what we could ask or think of. Like his peace is supernatural. And it surpasses, like you said, all understanding is because it sustains and it's with you and it keeps you. And even when you face difficulties and trials, there's that peace that's just present with you. It's like, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here, daughter. I'm here, son. I'm here. And that is a peace that is unlike any other, for sure. It permeates everything. I can't explain it myself either to be in such deep pain, but to have a peace. Not that it diminishes the pain, but that it's, you just have an underlying feeling like it's going to be okay. As horrible as it is right now, I'm not alone and it's going to be okay. A few minutes ago, you talked about the three things that you keep in mind for uh, processing grief. And one of them being, that we isolate. And I did, I purposely isolated. I chose to isolate, but it is a, a traffic way you said for Satan to work. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So often the enemy traffics through silence 
And while we're isolated, again, I mentioned earlier, there's intentional, like being intentional with alone time, but then isolating yourself altogether. When I isolate myself, because I did the same thing, I tend to numb myself. We tend to go through a coping mechanism. We're like trying to numb ourselves. Mine was binge watching TV. Some is they result in alcohol or drugs or anything else to get their mind off of their pain. That's their sole purpose to being by themselves. Like I just want to distract myself from the pain and to know that even while you're distracting yourself, the enemy is feeding you these lies. Nobody understands you. This is how life's going to be. You're just always going to go through suffering. You're always going to go through pain and going through life like that, going through your grief like that and being isolated again is a doorway for you to come to a point of like, man, this is it. This is all there is. It's such a rough spot to be in and to avoid that and to allow people in because healing comes through people. When the Bible says, confess your sins to God, you'll be forgiven, but confess your sins to others, you'll be healed. Mm -hmm. And there's such a healing moment in relationships. God always destined for there to be relationships from day one. Adam had Eve for a reason because he knew the importance of having relationships. He knew the importance of having community for when days get tough, for when things are hard, for when those moments you don't want to get out of bed, for when those moments, you know, you're going through a funeral. He has people in your life to be that support that holds you up. Allowing them in is the important part. We have to come to a place like, okay, nobody's going to truly understand the pain that I'm going through. Nobody's going to truly wrap their mind around it because only I will fully understand that. But to allow them in, to allow them to be a support, to allow them to speak life, to allow them to be a helping hand through this is what is needed. And this will help me begin to heal. We serve the God of relationship. That's his primary focus is relationship and his great love for us. So that makes complete sense. But also to relationship, people can be not so helpful. What were some of the things that people said to you that you thought you have no clue what you're saying? Because what does anyone know what to say? Yeah. A lot of people give cliche platitudes during that time. And some of the things I heard is like, you know, everything happens for a reason. Your mom is in a better place. You are so strong. I think that was another one. You are so strong. You're going to get through this. You're such a strong woman. And you're like, I don't feel strong. I don't want to be strong anymore. I'm done with being strong. So I've heard a lot of that. I think also... I know some people are so calculative of what they say because they don't want to say the wrong thing, but not saying anything is just as bad. I remember wanting to be open and transparent with how I was feeling and just wanted to talk about my mom. And some of the people, some of my friends were looking at me like, oh my gosh, is she going to cry? Is she okay? Um, My talking about it made them uncomfortable and it made me want to close off even more. So I really believe it's so important for us to navigate how to speak to people during grief, but also to just be there. I think the most important thing is just being there for that person in that moment. If they want to talk about it, let them talk about it. If they don't, just sit with them through it and just let them know that, hey, I'm here if you need me. I think that goes a long way. There is one thing that came out for me when it comes to people trying to be helpful. You can't burden them with too much because they feel helpless at a certain point and then they're out because they don't want to feel helpless. But it was God's presence that was everything to me in my my choice to be isolated. It was still God's presence that gave me peace through the process. And I believe it is just someone's presence. They yeah. don't have to really say anything. They don't have to do anything. 
I meant to ask this a few minutes ago. When you were talking about coping and distracting ourselves from the pain, I too believe that that's when addictions come up or at Mm -hmm. least you're challenged with an addiction. And if you don't process it, pain, grief, suffering, it will wait for you. And so all the meantime that you're running from processing and you're coping and distracting, then you start inviting things that are really going to be detrimental to your life in general, not just the fact that you are not processing your grief and pain like you should. What was your experience? You're definitely right about it still being there. After you try to numb yourself out, you still have to face it. There is still there. Just allowing yourself time to sit with those feelings is the hardest thing for us because any negative emotion, any sadness, any pain to wallow in that and to sit in that, our minds are immediately like, no, this is wrong. This is not okay. Like I shouldn't be feeling these feelings, but allowing yourself intentional time to grieve and to be like, okay, I'm not feeling okay about this and to reflect on it. I feel also um, when people go through grief, they want to push back any semblance of a reminder of their loved one out of their lives. They don't want to look through pictures. They don't want to go through clothes. They don't want to listen to their loved one's favorite songs or anything in that moment because it just trigger a memory of their loved one. And they'll go back to everything that happened. Allow yourself those moments of, hey, take it one step at a time try to go through their clothes, look at a picture of them and reflect on it. Allow yourself to reflect, allow yourself to go back in that moment because going backwards allows yourself to just be present with how you felt in that moment. And so when you can process those feelings in that moment, you can move forward in healing. And it's taking those tiny steps and eventually the healing pattern begins and you begin to heal in ways that you never thought possible. But if you never sit with it, if you never acknowledge it, then like you said, and you never truly heal from it. I've met many people who've been just stuck in their grief. I remember talking to this one lady, she was like around 70 years old and she brought up her mom a little bit, just brought up her mom and her mom had passed when she was 20 and she was, she couldn't even bring up her mom without welling up with such pain and such tears. And in that moment, I was like, she's stuck. Mm -hmm. And um, that's such a hard place to be in. It's just to be stuck in that because that is not God's will for our life. He wants us to thrive. He wants us to prosper. He wants us to live abundantly and to take those steps so we can, you know, again, find that healing. The fact that he wants us to be joyful and full of his spirit and to live and love and thrive is because he's remedied all of our pain. But the reality is it's still painful. And he will meet us in that and he will reveal himself to us in that. Losing my husband was the toughest season of my life. And I still struggle with that in some regards. But having him meet me in that pain with his love and his presence It was everything for me. It changed my understanding of who God is. I went from having faith in God to having an intimate relationship with him. Mm. There was this transition into that. Any thoughts on that for you? When we go through something significant like trauma or loss, it's in that moment where we're at rock bottom. We're helpless. We have nothing. We're at the end of our rope. And so that's when we find God in those moments. That's when we're like, 
you said we come to a place of surrender and doing like, okay, like there's nothing I can do. And then you see what God does and you just kind of like have this revelation moment, like God, you're here and you're good. Even in this pain, even in this hurt, you're still good. You see me. And I think that suffering and pain helps us to see that clearly than we probably would have before. Something comes together for me as you're saying that, and as we referred to surrender earlier and talked about it just a tad bit, but it makes me wonder if when we get to rock bottom is really when we realize we are helpless. Mm -hmm. We can't buy good health. Mm, We can't buy love. And so we get to this place where we have to face the fact that we are absolutely helpless, but there is one who is not helpless. And so we surrender when we choose to surrender ourselves to him. I think that really makes room for the healing to begin. From my perspective, as a, as a wife, I, I had regrets about, I could have done this better. I could have done that better. The would have, should have, and could have, which yeah. is some of Satan's worst weapons against us. Did you have any regrets? Any would have, should have, could have? Yeah, for sure. While my mom was going through that process and I was watching her slowly diminish, I was trying to cope in my own way. So sometimes I would zone out and on my phone texting my friends There's some moments where my mom was trying to speak with me, but it was so hard because her health was suffering. Looking at her was just looking at this sickly woman. It was really hard to watch that and see that. And so some moments I wasn't present in the moment that I wish I would have been now um, looking at that because I was trying to avoid my feelings and avoid and kind of numb. There are some key moments that I felt like I could have really spent time with her one-on-one that I didn't take into consideration and I kind of took for granted. I get that because even I look back and think of, I took so many things for granted. I took our ordinary life Mm. for granted. I took my last conversation with him for granted. I don't know that I would have been able to do it any differently, but it's still something that I wish I could have back or redo or see it with more value. When you think about the worst day of your life, whatever day you define that as, is there anything you can find to be thankful for on that day? The worst day. I would say people rallying around, praying for me, praying for my mom, visiting her at the hospital on her deathbed really touched my heart to see that these people really cared for her and that she had so many people who cared for her. Because sometimes you don't see that. You don't really get to see that side of people until it comes out. And just seeing people do things go above and beyond for her that I never imagined. Presence. People Mm -hmm. showing up. Yeah. Being present. So good. Touching on a little bit of the pain again, what do you feel like was the most unfair, unjust thing that God did? My mom has always struggled. I've never seen her without struggle. I never seen her go a whole year without going through something. First, it was the divorce. Second, it was just her struggling financially. And then it was the disease. Being younger, I was always thinking, okay, one day we're going to enter that promised land. You know, one day it's going to be flowing with milk and honey. We're going to be financially secure. My mom is going to get remarried to someone who treats her so much better than my dad ever did. I always had that envisioned in my mind. I thought it was so unfair that that never happened for her. You know, I remember just fighting through that, like, God, why did you not allow 
that to happen for her? And why did she have to be taken out by such a harsh disease? And why did she have to suffer? So it was something I had to wrestle through. But knowing that, again, she had the joy of the Lord and it sustained her through all the years of her life. And her love was so contagious. It was so infectious. And just seeing that through her life, knowing that God was faithful, God was with her and, you know, it it sustained her. One of the things that the Lord said to me when I was really pressing him for answers is that, Sherry, some things just belong to me. So he didn't really give me an answer. So when I ask you this question, you might not have an answer. But what did God say to you about that struggle? What did he reveal to you about his nature despite the reality and the truth of what you're saying is that she did struggle. She didn't have it easy. And why take her out with suffering? God gave me more so of a peace. We don't always understand why things happen the way that they do. We'll never have answers this side of heaven. But to know that through all of it, that God was still there and his plan and purpose still unfolded for her life. She poured so much into me. Her love was definitely my roots and it sustained me and helped me to grow into the person that I am today. She made such a significant impact on my life and knowing that she did live out a purpose and that she loved people and she loved God. And even though her life wasn't always like this beautiful picture that I wanted it to be for her, maybe it was more beautiful than I probably could have seen. I see your mother turn to God and not give up in the hardest times. And now I see you turning to God, despite he did not show up like you wanted him to. So I do see a good deposit that she has poured into you. I do see this vessel that you allow yourself to be even in the midst of life's not fair and it's painful sometimes. What is it about God or why would you choose to turn your heart toward God instead of away from God? Initially, that was my reaction to turn away from God. But like we talked about earlier, when you reach that place of helplessness, I have nobody else to turn to. Nobody understands me. But finding God in the midst of that, when I went to my room and I fell on my face, I honestly didn't know if God was going to meet me there. I had this picture like, okay, I pushed him away. Like, but this is my last resort (laughs) kind of thing. But even in that moment where I had already previously pushed him away, where I was like, God, I have all these questions. You're not coming through. I don't understand. You're not healing her. Even through all these doubts, even through all my being upset and just not understanding, he still was there and he wrapped me in his arms and he was like, I'm here. I've always been here. And just to know that his presence in that moment was all that I needed gave me such a relief. It opened my eyes. It took this weight off my shoulder. And knowing, okay, that everything my mom stood up for and believed in, all those questions I had when I was a kid myself, having that relationship with God when I was younger, but even in the worst moments of my life, knowing that he was still there, it's what continually helped me to turn to him through, through dark times in painful times. It's not always easy. (laughs) Again, we have a tendency to run away, but knowing that no matter how far I run, he's there on the other side. 
waiting for me. Reminds me of Romans 8, 38 through 39, talking about nothing will separate us from the love of yeah. God that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So it's, it doesn't matter what it is. It will not separate us. His presence and his truth and his love and his light, it pierces the pain of this life. And it is everything. And that's what I say to the Lord all the time. Now, give me the ability to perceive you in everything. I want to see your heart in everything and everyone. And it is huge to me. I hate that I had to wait so long to really get that lesson, but God wastes nothing. I look at you because at your age, young, you lost your mother in 2014 at 19 years old. Mm -hmm. And therefore you have learned a very tough lesson and beautiful at the same time about who God is in the midst of pain and suffering. It is a high price to pay, but God makes it so beautiful in the process. Mm -hmm. With you and I talking here today, I always believe that God never allows anything that he doesn't plan to redeem. And then if we agree to turn to him and discover, Lord, show me the purpose and the pain. And then we become part of that redemption story. And that's what I see here today as you talk to me. What are some of the things that you want a listener to take away today? Knowing that God gives beauty for ashes. That is such a beautiful thing to think about and dwell on is knowing that everything that you went through, everything that's happened in your life, everything that you might currently be going through right now, that God is going to, like you said, he's going to redeem it. This isn't the end that he has promised you beauty and that nothing happens to you. I don't believe anything happens to you. I don't believe God's out here taking away our loved ones. He's out here causing suffering. I believe these things happen in our life because we live in a broken and fallen world, but nothing happens to you. But I believe that everything will happen for you. And that even through the most tragic of circumstance, that God can use that to change the trajectory of your life and to give you a story that might impact other people or to give you a beautiful redemption later on in your life. And just just kind of like that revelation of God is present and God is here. When you look at your life now, a little bit of distance, 2014 to 2021 at this current moment. Have you seen some redemption? What is Mm. God doing to redeem your pain? At probably the end of 2014, 2015, I remember coming to this place of this is it, asking God, will I ever truly find joy again? Will I truly ever be happy again? Healing had to take place. It was a process and God was walking me through that process. I found joy and restoration and wholeness in a way that I never imagined possible. He's paved a way for me to share my story with others. I lead a grief support group and the people I lead through have gone through similar circumstances that I've been, or they're still struggling. They're still fighting, but I've had people come to me and like Sarah before joining this group, I never thought it would make the impact it has, but it's changed my life in a way that I never imagined to know that my mom's legacy still lives on and that God is not done with her story either. It's just traveling a different way and it's just going through a different carrier. God has definitely redeemed my life in ways I never imagined. And it's just been so beautiful to be a part of this purpose and journey. The reason that I even have this podcast is because of my husband's passing. And then I became very interested in this good God that I profess allows pain and suffering. 
Mm-hmm. Surely he has something to say about it. And so listening to other people's stories and their experiences about finding him even in the darkest times of their life encouraged my heart and really helped with my processing to be able to share my story, I feel is part of the redemption story, just like yourself. In your darkest moment of this experience, what is something beautiful that God said in the dark? The most beautiful thing, if I can reiterate, when he met me in my lowest place, is just like, not only did he say, hey, Sarah, I've always been with you. I'm with you, but I see you. And I think that was so beautiful to know not only that he was with me in the dark, but he saw me in the dark because so many people like me, especially being at such a young age and losing my mother, again, I felt like nobody truly understood. Nobody truly felt what I felt. Nobody saw what I saw. But to know that God knew and he saw And even through the pain, he prepared a way for redemption. He prepared a way for restoration. Mm -hmm. And to know that you are fully known and you are fully loved and you're fully seen. And he has prepared a way for a reunion too. Yeah. You know, a minute ago, you talked about ashes. God gives beauty for ashes. And it makes me think of this. Whenever you find yourself in a pile of ash and dirt, Don't be afraid because dirt in the right hands, God's hands, a miracle happens. Sarah, thank you for your time today. May your mother continue to be an inspiration to you. And as you live out your life for the glory of God, I know that that deposit she made will shine very brightly because it's shining right now. Thank you, sweet woman. I appreciate you so much today. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, A lifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.